Okay, so one time the rabbi of the shul, he's looking at the list of donors and he notices the richest guy in the whole town has never given anything, nothing, not $18, nothing. So he calls him up and says, Mr. Goldberg, we were looking at our records uh, and, uh, you know, we hear that your business, Baruch Hashem, is doing very, very well and yet we've never received any support from you for your local shul. So Mr. Goldberg says, well, if you uh, did so much research to find out my business uh, is doing well, maybe you uh, completed your research, maybe you found out that my mother is very, very ill and has extremely expensive uh, medical bills. Maybe, you, uh, maybe your research showed you that my brother is disabled and is unable to work. Maybe your research showed you that my sister's husband passed away and left her with six orphans. The rabbi says, no, I, I didn't know any of that. He says, well, that is, that's the situation. And if I don't help any of them, why do you think I'm going to help you? Okay. So this week's Parsha is Parshas, what's the name? Truma. Truma. Very good. Okay. Truma means donation. It's called Parshas Donation. We have a simple question. Simple question. Why is it called Pasha's donation? Is donation the most important idea here in the Pasha? Um, yeah, they raised funds and resources, building materials with which to make the what did they what did they use it all for? What was the purpose? The Mishkan, thank you. Okay, building campaign. So they made the Mishkan, or the Mikdash, depending on your, how you refer it. Torah calls it both, the sanctuary or the, um, the, the, the holy uh, abode, the, the portable temple that they built in the wilderness. So that was really the point. And then the Shechina, Hashem's presence, comes down and fills the, the sanctuary. So why is it called Truma, meaning donation, which is really just a means to an end. The point is that they made a mishkan, they made a, they made a mikdash, they made a holy abode. Seemingly, the parsha would better have been named Parsha's Mikdash. Now, you might say to me, well, the reason is because you have right at the very beginning of the parsha, that's the beginning, right? Hashem spoke to Moses saying, Dabel ben Israel, speak to the children of Israel, Truma, they should take from me a donation. Oh, Truma, right there in the very beginning of the Parsha. And you don't have the word Mikdash until, uh, well, that's verse 2. And if you go to uh, verse 8, uh, then you have, let them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell within it, which is the real point. Make for me a sanctuary and I'll dwell within it. So maybe you're going to say, well, because the word truma is in the, the first Pasuk, or the second Pasuk, um, and, and the word mikdash isn't until uh, the eighth Pasuk, the eighth verse, so that's why. But then I'll ask... Then I could ask the same question, just ask a little bit differently. Okay, since the main point of the Parsha is the building of the sanctuary, meaning what they did with the donations, not the fact that they collected donations, so then why isn't the word Mikdash earlier on in the Parsha? Okay, I also want to just explain a little bit 
the background of this question. This question presupposes that the name of a parsha is significant. Um, I should also mention that this week, as pretty much every week, the Dvar Torah is based on a, at least an aspect of a sicha from, from Lukutei Sichas of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So this is the Lubavitcher Rebbe's question. Um, one of many questions in a, in a sicha in Chelek Chof Aleph, volume 21 of Lukutei Sichas on Parshas Truma. Um, and, and just to give you background to explain, the Rebbe will often ask, you know, what's the deal with the name of the Parsha? And that presupposes that there's, a, there's an intrinsic or inherent significance to the names the Parshas are given. First of all, everything is Hashkacha Pratis. Everything in the world is divine providence. So, you know, everything has to have a significance. But even more so, something that is a Minig Yisrael Teirahi. It is a Jewish custom to refer to these, these, these portions with these names. And, and since it's, it's a Jewish custom, it, it, it has the significance of Torah, and Torah itself is that, you know, is the building, is the, is, is the building plans for the, for, for the world. So there's, nothing's happenstance. Everything has a deeper meaning. Plus, add to that the fact that names in general are very important in Torah, especially when you understand, according to Chassidus, the idea that Hashem speaks the world into being, so the name that everything is called is actually the formula for the life force of that thing. And so with that, I'm not, I don't want to get into a whole discussion of that, that's for another time, but the idea is that a name, I mean, you even see it not, not, not in Pneumia Satayda, you even see it in Nigla Satayda, in, 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 in Gemara, for instance, Shmoi Kishmoi Kainhu, the idea that the, a name should be significant, or that Rabbi Meir was able to deduce the, the character of people based on their names, the whole story in the Gemara about that. And, 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 uh, and specifically, according to Chassidus, a name is meira al like it says in Shari Yichad Vemunah in the second volume of Tanya. So you have a name of a parsha, it, 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 it's, a, it's a serious thing. Why is the name of this parsha, Truma, which means donation, which is a means to an end, is the way they gathered the materials, why isn't it Mikdash, which was the purpose for which they uh, gathered the materials? That's the question. Good? Okay. So I'm going to tell you a story that has um, many versions, and I, I don't really know which one is correct. Um, but the main gist of it is pretty much agreed upon in uh, various traditions. And it is a story about, uh, it's a story about a donation. I mean, there, there you go. I telegraphed it to you. That's the punchline. It's about a donation. Um, there was a, a couple, a chosin and kala, they were both orphans, and they were engaged to be married. And on the day of the chuppah, the local draft office of the Tsar's army, uh, did, they drafted the chosin, the groom, for uh, 20 years of military conscription. And, uh, of course, the kala was distraught. <clears throat> she was completely beside herself. And, she, you know, they, they were orphans. So they didn't have family connections. They had nothing. Even the wedding itself was being paid for by Hachnos' kala. Um, there were tzaddikim who figure prominently in the story in one moment. We'll talk about them. They, they had gathered the funds to pay for the chasana. Uh, so this kala was totally distraught. She went to one of these tzaddikim who gathered the funds to pay for the chasana. There are different versions of who they were. Um, but uh, one of them was probably Levi Yitzchak Berdichever, another one was probably uh, Mendel Horodoker or Mendel Vitebsker. 
And the, the third one was certainly Reb Shner Zaman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe, the, the Balatanya. At any rate, she went, I believe, to Reb <coughs> Mendel Haradakar, and she poured out her heart and said that uh, her, her groom is, is being taken away on the day of the, the, the chuppah. So he, he saw she was distraught, and he said, don't worry, it'll be taken care of. She was unconsolable. So he says, I swear to you, it'll be taken care of. He marched down to the draft office, and he, and he said to the, the officer there, what, what do we need to do over here? He says, nothing to do. He says, uh, you, know, you, you know how things work. You know, what, what, how much do you need? He says, what, you're trying to bribe me? I could uh, send you to prison for trying to bribe a, an officer of the Tsar, and if you don't get me 500 rubles by sundown, that's exactly what's going to happen. Right? Okay. So, uh, so Reb Mendel comes back to Reb Lev Yitzchok, and he says, we need to raise 500 rubles by sundown. Okay. How do you raise 500 rubles by sundown? That's a lot of money. That's a fortune. There's not that much money in town. We've got to go door to door. We've got to beg everybody, liquidate all your assets, and, and hope that we can scrape together that much money. So uh, they mentioned it to uh, the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, Epshner Zalman, and asked him if he would help. So he says, I will help. He was the youngest of the three. He says, I will help, but I have to be the organizer, and you have to promise that you're going to listen to my plan, whatever I say. So they said, fine, no problem. So the Alter Rebbe says, fine, let's make a list of everyone in town. They said, a list of everyone? We don't have time to make a list of everyone in town. We need to go pound on the doors and, and go get the money. He says, no, we're going to make a list. He said, you're going to do my way? This is my way. I'm making a list. So they made a list. Uh, after they made the list, the Alter Rebbe looks at it and he says, you're missing a name. They said, we, we, we wrote down everyone in town. He says, you didn't write down Velvel. He said, Velvel? He says, yeah, Velvel. Oh, Velvel? No, you can't go to him. He says, yeah, yeah, you have to put him down on the list. Who was Velvel? There was a guy who became wealthy, and he actually left the Jewish community, and he lived in the non-Jewish part of town, and uh, he was known, he was renowned as being a miser, and he wouldn't give any money to anything. And the Alter Rebbe says, put him down on the list, and we're going to go to him first. They said, please, we don't have time, we have to go. He says, you said you're going to do it my way. Okay, fine. So they go across town, all the way across town to the non-Jewish section of town. There's a big mansion there, knocking the door, and the butler answers. And somehow they get, their, their, they, they get past the butler, and they get to Velvo, and the three rabbis are standing there. And um, they say, look, we have, we're in dire straits. There's a kala, an orphan, married, about to be married to a chosan, also an orphan. The draft office is, has, has taken him away. Um, we need 500 rubles by sundown or, you know, tragedy. So he says, oh, that's very moving. You know, it's a very moving story. He says, just, just wait a second. He gets up from his desk. He goes back to another room, and they could see him. And he opens up a safe. Oh, he's opening the safe. Okay, maybe he's going to give us something good. Surprise, you know. So he opens up the safe, and he comes back. He has something in his hand. He comes back, and he presses his hand into the hand of Reb Mendel. And Reb Mendel opens up his hand, and there's one rusty, moldy, copper penny. He's shocked. I mean doesn't even know how to respond. 
So the Alter Rebbe says to him, Rebbe we thank you so much for your donation. Thank you. And he motions to the other two tzaddikim, let's go. They turn around and they walk out. They walk out of the house as they are leaving the property. They hear Velvo running behind them. They turn around and Velvo says to them, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That really wasn't an appropriate um, contribution. Come back, please come here, come, come back in. Sit, the, sit back down. So they're already saying to the Alter Rebbe, we don't have time, we have to go, we have to go, we have to go knock on the doors. I mean, what is this, this, this guy's a cup, you know, he's, he's wasting time. The Alter Rebbe says, let's go back in. They go back in, they sit down, he says, I'm sorry, please, let me help you in a better way. He gets up, he goes back to the safe, he comes back, with a, again with his hand, presses it into Mendel's hand, Mendel opens it up, oh, a few silver coins. Okay, I mean, not a lot, but at least more than, uh, more than a copper penny. A few silver coins. They're not sure really how to take it. The Alter Rebbe <coughs> looks at Rebvelvel. He says, Rebvelvel, thank you. Thank you so much for your generosity. This is going to help tremendously. They take the money. He motions to the other two tzaddikim. Let's get up. Let's walk out. They walk out. They leave the house. They're leaving the property. As they're at the edge of the property again, Velvo's running behind them. Come back, come back, please, please, I'm sorry. Now, it's very nice he wants them to come back, but again, they're trying to think here. We have to raise 500 rubles, okay? We don't really have time to play around all day with the, you know, the chump change that Velvo is giving us. But Al-Tarebbe motions to them, like, let's go back in. So they go back in, they sit down. Again, they're, they're, they're off Spilkes. This is wasting time. We've got to go, we've got to go. Velvo says, please let me get something, get something for you. He gets up, he goes back to the safe, he comes back. This time, he's got gold coins. Oh, okay, now that's, that's a significant contribution. All right. Now, it's 1% of what they have to raise, but now at least we're, you know, we're getting in, you know, a, a normal-sized donation. And the Al-Tarebbe again, he says, Velvo, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It's very, very kind of you. And they get up and they walk out, they get to the edge of the property, same thing happens again, now a third time he's chasing them. And this goes on over and over and over again. And each time they come back in, he gives them more money. Until finally, after who knows how many times, Abdelville says, what is it again? What's the total? What's the total? And he brings out a sack of coins, he says, here it is. They're related, they're ecstatic, that's it. They raise the amount. The Mandel goes running to the draft office. He pays off the, uh, the officer there. They release the, the chasen. They're able to make the chasenah. Baruch Hashem, everything works out perfectly. Okay. Later on, they go to uh, the Alter Rebbe. And they asked the Alter Rebbe, what happened? I mean, how did you know that that was the way to raise the money? And uh, he says, I want you to know that I didn't do any miracles. There was no miracle involved whatsoever. He says, when you told me the situation, I knew three things. One, I knew there was not enough money in this town 
even if everyone in this town would liquidate all their assets, sell all their jewelry, everything, there was not 500 rubles of assets in this town. That's one thing I knew. Second thing I knew is the, and we didn't have time to go to another town because we needed to finish by sunset. Second thing I knew was the only one who had access to that kind of money was Valvel. And the third thing I knew is that Reb Mendel had already sworn that he was going to come up with the money. And if he had already sworn, then from heaven it was going to happen. Well, how's it going to happen? I had to put two and two together and I realized we're going to have to get the entire amount from Valvel. We have no other choice. Now, what was the background? What was the story of Valvel? Here's what the miser revealed. He told them this, that when he was a child, he always had a nasoyan. He always had a, a struggle with, with giving up money. Even as a little child, he, he was pained to give tzedakah. You know, different people have different natures, personalities. That was his personality. He couldn't part with money. And he said it just became more and more um, intense. And then when he became uh, a young man, and he started earning money, and he, you know, then it became even more of an obsession. He, I, I earned this money, how can I let go of it? So he told them that one time, after he was already pretty successful, and he was already living on the non-Jewish side of town, he had his mansion and everything, that uh, uh, somebody came by one day to collect money, and uh, a, a Jew had who walked all the way across town from the Jewish section to the non-Jewish section through the wind and the snow. It was in the middle of the winter. And he said, please, I'm desperate. I need money. And Velvel said, I really didn't want to give him anything, so I reached in my pocket, and all I had was a penny. So I gave him the penny. And this, is, this guy had just slept all the way across town, and he, when, he got, when he got the penny, he was so insulted, he threw it in my face. So after <clears throat> he stormed off, uh, Valvel says, I picked up the penny that he threw in my face, and I said, this, this is the best proof that you should never be generous because people are, are ungrateful. And he says, that's it. That's all I'm ever giving anybody. He says, I put that penny in my safe, and I made a policy. Anyone comes asking for anything, I'm giving them that penny. That's it. And he says, and I did this for years. He said, you know how many times I had that penny thrown back in my face? He says, but something happened when I gave you that penny and you said thank you and you took it. Something began to melt. Something began to shift. And I couldn't help myself. I wanted to give more. I couldn't give much more, but I gave you, you know, a few silver coins. And then you took that and then I wanted to give more and I gave gold coins and so on and so forth until now I feel that my heart is open to giving. It's interesting. So that's the story. Um, you know, the Rambam says that it's important to, to give tzedakah repeatedly on, on multiple occasions. In other words, theoretically, let's say you had a certain amount of money that you can, can, you can give to tzedakah. And... Uh, it's not like a situation where the people need the funds immediately. Obviously, then you give it all at once. But let's say you have an option of giving one lump sum or paying it out over time, provided that you know, the, the recipient doesn't desperately need it right now. Um, then the Rambam actually says it's better to give it to space it out because he says the preponderance of deed, the roiv hamaise, actually has a, 
sort of a therapeutic effect, a transformative effect. It, it changes a person. So, you know, it's the same lumps. It's the same amount as the lump sum. It's the same uh, dollar amount, but personally, it has a different effect on you because the act of giving actually transforms you into a giver. Right? There's a difference between the, an act of giving, which could be isolated, might not reflect your personality, and becoming a giver. But a funny thing is, the act of giving, when repeated, actually it's like a muscle that you exercise and it, it, it turns the person into a giver. Okay, so let's go back to our original question. Why is this parsha called donation? Seemingly it should be called sanctuary. That was what they did with the donations. That was the point of the donations. They made a sanctuary where make me a sanctuary where I can dwell within it, says Hashem. So here's the answer. <sighs> Bringing Hashem down to this world is actually not a novel idea in this Parsha. They brought Hashem down to this world uh, a few Parshas ago. You remember? Parshas Yisroi. At the time of Matan Torah, the time of the re revelation at Har Sinai, it says that Hashem came down upon the mountain. So Hashem was in this world just a couple, couple weeks ago. A couple Parshas ago. So that's not the the chidush, that's not what's original or distinct or characteristic about this parsha. That's not it. What's original or unique or distinct about this parsha? The difference in which Hashem comes into the world. In Parshas Yisroi, Matan Torah, the revelation at Har Sinai, it's unilateral, it's from above. Hashem decides it's time, He's coming into the world, and what happens? Hashem comes into the world and automatically, instantaneously, everything is transformed. Right? What does it tell us? That, that, that Hashem's voice, as He spoke the Ten Commandments, was heard from all directions in the world, all four compass points and up and down. It was overwhelming. It was all over the entire world. Omnipresent. It said everything shut down. Everything else was silent. The Medrash says not a bird was chirping. Not an ox bellowed. Right? So all of a sudden, it was this intense, overwhelming revelation of godliness. And then what happened? As soon, just as abruptly as it came on, it was over. It was over. In fact, we see this. Moshe Rabbeinu tells the people before the giving of the Torah, don't go near the mountain, don't even touch the mountain because it's holy. And then right after the revelation is over, he says, now you can touch the mountain again. In other words, the mountain didn't change. There was no permanent effect on the mountain. During the revelation, oh, mountain Torah, right? But as soon as it was over, it was back to normal. Why? Because when something comes from above to below like that, it's intense, it fills the whole world, but it's easy come, easy go. It's not transformative. It's not transformative. It comes out intensely. It, it, it has a massive effect. But then it's gone as quickly as it came. Contrast that with what? With the idea of us creating a holy space. You, the Jewish people, make for you make me a, a holy place. You gather the materials. You go put it together. When there's a donation, meaning when a person has to overcome his own selfish drive, his own ego, and he has to take from something that he owns, and he has to 
sanctify it. He has to dedicate it. He has to say, this is for Hashem. So now we're talking about something completely different. We're talking about, instead of above to below, we're talking about below to above. When it's below to above, each individual working on themselves to be as generous as possible, now the effect is permanent. And that's indeed what happened. The, Mish the Mishkan became permanently holy. In fact, even after the 40 years in the desert, the Mishkan was interred in the catacombs under the, underneath the Beis HaMikdash in Yerushalayim. It continues to be there. That's where Shlomo Melech um, built catacombs under the Beis HaMikdash. And uh, the, the Mishkan, the parts of the Mishkan continue to be there and continue to be holy. So, think about it. Har Sinai, the mountain, became holy for as long as the revelation ensued. But as soon as the revelation was over, the mountain's no longer holy. Why? Because above to below, it's instant, it's intense, but then it's gone. The Mishkan, that was a project that we did. That was our work. So therefore, it was permanently transformative. That's the Hiddush, that's the novel point of this Parsha. It's about holiness that comes about in the world from below to above. Therefore, the point of the Parsha is not that there is holiness in the world, Mikdash, from the word Kodesh. The point of the Parsha is Truma, donation which Truma also means uplifting, to lift up. The point of the Parsha is that a person can reach within himself, overcome his ego, overcome his selfish instinct, and give something to Hashem. When you do that, when you have to overcome your own internal struggle, like Valvel, what happens is you become transformed, you become the giver. You become a different person. So through the act... It's not just the value of the act itself, it is the after effect that it leaves in this world. So we should remember that uh, when we're doing good, it's not just the momentary benefit. Doing good helps us to become more of a sanctuary. We become the mikdash for Hashem in this world.